Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm so happy to have you here. And I love today's guest because I think her message is so important to everyone listening. I think all of us can be better at asking for support and really getting over the whole phrase, I got it. Do you need help? No, I got it. Do you need help with that luggage? No, I got it. Do you need help carrying groceries? No, I got it. Sometimes we don't got it or we got it, but we don't want to get it all on our own. It'd be nice to have support. And I know receiving is something that I've really had to learn how to get good at. Good at giving, but when it comes to making requests, asking for support, either personally or professionally, that's been an area I've really had to stretch myself. Today's guest, Elaine Fluker, is the author of the new book, Get Over, I Got It. And she's going to talk to you today about how you can get better at asking for support and why it's so necessary. She gives you some really practical ways that you can ask for help, that you can get support, that you can make requests. We also talk about just the ups and downs of launching a book, because I know a lot of you may want to write a book and you also just may have a creative project that you're interested in. I think you're really going to get a lot out of today's episode and fall in love with Elaine like I did. Her wisdom, her honesty, her humor, and her depth is really refreshing. So now before we dive in, just want to remind you that the early bird pricing for our relationship retreat is expiring this next week. So if you want to join Steph and I for our virtual relationship retreat, which is for couples or singles who want to learn relationship tools and tips, then go to christinehassler.com slash relationship retreat. All the info is there. It's going to be a good one. Steph and I pride ourselves on having a healthy, conscious, passionate, impactful relationship. We work at it every single day, seriously, every single day. And when we don't, we see our relationship suffer. We've been through a lot of ups and downs and have learned some incredible things and we're excited to share it with all of you. So again, christinehasser.com slash relationship retreat. And now on to my conversation with Elaine. Elaine, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Christine. I'm happy to be here. So you've got a book coming out, which is a big deal because it's oh, your oh, first yes, book. <laughs> and we'll it's talk about baby. that. It's your first one. And we'll talk about that. I love the title, Get Over, I Got It. We'll, we'll unpack that a yeah. little in a bit. But it, this is such a great time to have this conversation with you because you're currently going through something you teach women about. You're currently going through a big thing. Like it's stressful. It's exciting. It's, it's all the things. And you have to, at the same time, ask for help and not think that you have to do it all on your own. So I would love to start with how are you navigating this process of going into a first book launch, which is a big deal for you for a lot of reasons that you, you can share if you want. And how are you navigating all the like balancing the hustle with knowing that you don't want to burn yourself out with thinking you got to do it on your own with knowing you got to ask for support and practicing what you preach and all of that. I imagine this is a huge personal development experience for you launching this book. I used to say that entrepreneurship was one of the greatest lessons in personal development. I still believe that, but also releasing a book yeah. is one of the greatest lessons in personal development for sure. Never mind the writing of it, the creation of it, getting a book deal if you go that route or self-publishing, but actually the launch part of it, putting whatever your thoughts are out into the world. My book is definitely not a memoir, but it has some personal things in there as well. So there's that vulnerability hangover kind of mm -hmm. part of it or vulnerability anticipation that we can certainly talk about that's there. So all these emotions are wrapped up within it. 
How am I navigating it? I am stumbling my way through it. I literally <laughs> can see a visual. <laughs> of my, I'm like running, tripping, mm-hmm. stumbling, falling. The key is, though, as is the message of the book and just my message overall, you have have to, not need to, you have to, you must, you get to also have people in your life who are there when you fall to hook their arm under your arm and help you get up. Some of them tell you, you sit down right here. You don't be involved with this. We're going to take care of this for you. Some of them tell you, don't even go that way, go the other way. Some of them tell you, relax, slow down. You'll stop tripping over things if you slow down. So I'm lucky that I have all of these people in my life from family. My parents are very supportive to my book publicist, Dawn Michelle Hardy, who's been through this with, I don't know, countless authors. She's seen this hype and you think it's only just you, right? Well, she's seen this a ton of time. She reminded me that this is not the culmination of my book project. Mm -hmm. This is actually the beginning. It's a next stage or next chapter, if you will, of the book project where it feels like you get so hype about it and everyone else is so hype about it. It feels like you do the launch and that's it. Actually, this is a new beginning for it. And she reminded me of that. And that, as you have wisely said, Christine, earlier when we were talking, that this is a marathon or I choose for it to be a marathon Mm -hmm. as opposed to a sprint. So just and even I will tell you, even being vulnerable and honest when I'm sharing what I'm really feeling, I get the powerful divine, honestly, support from women and people like you who say, well, this is what I went through, or if this is helpful, this is what I thought, or this is what I learned because I was doing what you're doing right now. And that didn't work. Here's another way. Mm -hmm. So the support throughout the process has just been a reminder that, okay, so what I talk about in the book, I'm going to have to walk that talk. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When you put it out there in a book, it's like, oh no, I'm really accountable. There you go, big mouth. Now let's see how you do it. Exactly. So that's been the help, the support, just the, you know, the people I can call my agent to everything that happened with the publisher. We'd have a publisher call and I call him right after he always knew I was going to call him right after what part of that should I be upset about? Is this right? You know, but I had to have those people there who could tell me the truth, tell me when to, you know, push through or tell me when to sit down, calm down. And I wanted to start the podcast asking you this question because we have, we have so many listeners who want to do something, whether it's writing a book or just, just something, make a big change, put themselves out there, some kind of creative project. And it feels terrifying. It feels terrifying because imposter syndrome comes up, fear of failure comes up, fear of rejection comes up. And so many people don't go after their dreams and just sort of stay in a safe space base, stay in what's familiar, even if it's completely soul sucking from that for them, because the fear just seems insurmountable to get over a lot of the things I mentioned, the rejection, the imposter syndrome, all of that. So how did you, Elaine, conquer some of those challenges? And how do you see that ambitious women in particular really have trouble with asking for support when they do feel challenged? Yeah, I think for me, though, all of those things that you mentioned, imposter syndrome, fear of rejection, I certainly got a lot of rejections before HarperCollins leadership said yes. A lot of folks said no, mm-hmm. right? So we certainly went through the rejection. All of those things, honestly, are part of the process. When you're putting something out into the world, my best friend's husband, <laughs> who I call my brother in my brother in love, um, he's an artist and he says no is just a part of the process. He's yeah. always applying for grants and doing all these things and trying to get his work out there. And some people say no, it's just a part of it. So I think you start to 
uh, accept it as part of it. It doesn't, it's not always a statement about you or your character or even the work itself. Sometimes it just doesn't work for folks. So that's been helpful for me just to know that. And if I'm really committed to it and I do really think what I'm doing, whether a book or anything else is valuable, I'm going to figure out a way for it to get out into the world and for the right people to uh, be attracted to it. On the other side, as ambitious women, I think that there is that drive most of us know, know it's part of the process. I got to keep going. I got to keep pushing. But the problem is we're doing so much of that ourselves that we're often burning out. Mm -hmm. We're feeling stressed out. Sometimes that thing that maybe in the beginning we love, we end up not loving or not feeling so fulfilled by it because we've been doing it all by ourselves. It takes on all this other weight as opposed to being this beautiful, you know, uh, collage of teamwork with you and all the other people who are there to support you. So that's really what I want my message to be. Of course, you know, people say, what if I can do it myself? But do you have to? Do you mm -hmm. really do you really need to? Right. I'm sure I'm sure you're fully capable, Christine, of doing much by yourself. Why? Why would you? Why wouldn't you be in a space where you can be just supported by the universe in whatever way that looks like? And honestly, I will tell you, once you get in the habit of this asking for support and really accepting support, because a lot of times support shows up for us. But as ambitious women who are running or in my case, stumbling through certain things, we don't even notice it. So we mm -hmm. just feel like I got to do it myself. It's like support is always there. So if you just be open to it, it comes to you and it just you just create this beautiful flow of energy, information, whatever you need. And I know it sounds a little woo-woo, but I'm telling you, it works. Oh, our audience loves woo-woo, so we can talk about energy all day long. Yay! That's totally fine. I love the woo-woo. <laughs> and to me, woo-woo <laughs> is like part of my reality. So it, it all works. Yeah. It all works. Um, you know, as you were talking, something just connected for me in terms of why I think so many people struggle with imposter syndrome is because so many people go at it alone. If you mm -hmm. don't have people in your corner cheering you on, calling you forward, reminding you of who you are, you're going to feel like an imposter because it's just you and your inner critic sitting there trying to hash it out. And so have you seen that as you've gotten more support and asked for more support and been a better receiver, that your imposter syndrome and that maybe critical voice in your head isn't quite as loud? Yeah. I found that. And I also found that when I do need some, whether it's called criticism or just feedback, right? Feedback yeah. is information. So I'll give you an example. Before talking to you today, I had a call with my coach, Margot Geller, who I talk to every week on Wednesdays. Usually I go see her, but I didn't plan my uh, day correctly today. So we had a call over the phone, but I was telling her about a client project that sort of has hit an impasse. And I was telling her about the communication from the client via email and my reaction, you know, so I can share all my emotion and what my reaction was. And this is what I'm thinking. And how could they say this and that? And then my question to her was, am I overreacting? Does this sound like this to you? What is, you know, I send her a certain email so she can look at it. And we had a conversation about it. Luckily, she said I wasn't overreacting in this case. I don't know. Luckily is the word, but she agreed that I was on the right track with my, my thinking about it. But still, even having that there for support, help me. Even, and so if she had said, which sometimes she does say, well, could, could it be that you're feeling this way because, you know, something else happened that she might be aware of? Or could it be that you're interpreting this because of some childhood thing? You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of other things that come into our work, whether we want them to or not. Same with why a lot of us don't ask for support because of a lot of things from the past. So yeah, so even having this, that an, a place or a space or a person to whom I can go to for feedback when I am either having imposter syndrome or coming up against any other challenges or anything else has been crucial uh, to me. And, and like I said, even if that feedback isn't something that I'm super happy about, in this case I was, but super happy about, it's still important for you to have folks there who can 
sort of hold a mirror up to you, remind you of how great you are and remind you of places where you might be able to improve. Absolutely. And one, one thing I hear from my audience a lot is they feel very alone. They feel like they don't have people in their life that they can ask. So can we talk to those people for a moment? Can we talk to the people who just feel alone, feel like they don't have people in their life? How do they go about, you know, first and foremost, finding people to ask, you know, really getting the courage to make those connections and have the people around them that can be part of their support system? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I have a couple of things I'd love to share. One is I actually have a chapter in a book called Know Your Anchors from Your Engines. So this was something that I received as a message from a woman I interviewed, Michelle Villalobos, on, on, on my podcast. And she talked about having gotten this message from um, her mentor. And it really stayed with me. So your anchors, people who are in your life um, in whatever capacity, who want to keep you in the place that you're in. So whether it's you know, they don't want you to move uh, from a career standpoint or maybe your personal development, you're outgrowing them in some kind of way or outpacing them in your success in another way. Those people are anchors. What I always want to remind uh, women especially is your anchors, though, aren't necessarily people who don't love you. A lot of times it's people who do love you. So it might be, say, a childhood friend. You grew up together. You've known each other forever. And now you're just going different directions. Essentially, it's just because you're living different kinds of lives now, but it might might feel like this person is trying to keep you as who you are, right? But it's not because that person is a quote unquote hater. It's because actually that person loves you and they want you to stay who you are. And it's hard for them to adjust to the change. So in this circumstance, they may be an anchor. So for me, I'll give an example. My parents, if I talk to them about anything with entrepreneurship, I'm basically asking them to be anchors for me. Mm. My parents are in their 90s. They work for both 40-something years. Had, they've retired from, I don't know, three or four different kinds of jobs. They're doing great, which is great. But hey, it's a different time. I am an entrepreneur. But if I come to them and say, Christine and I are going, uh, we have this business idea and we're going to invest $50,000 each and we don't know if it's going to work out, but we'll see. Uh-uh. Uh. They're going to be anchors. <laughs> They're going to be like, what? What are Who you doing? Christine? She is crazy. <laughs> yeah, stay away from her. What are you doing? Like they don't have the capacity. I say you have to be around people who have the capacity to hold your vision, right? So be aware of with whom you're sharing. I can't share that with my parents. Now, my parents love me to death. I'm the baby. I'm spoiled, but they're going to be anchors. So I know I can share with them. Instead, Christine and I had this idea. We both invested $50,000 and this is how it worked or this is how it didn't work. That they can handle. Even if it didn't work, it's like, oh, that's too bad. Okay. What do you think went wrong? We can have a conversation. They can handle that. In that case, they're not anchors. Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. So, so then on the other side are your engines. And these are people who, as some of the folks I've already mentioned during our conversation, they show up for you. They hold you to your highest, whether that's reminding you how great you are or challenging you to be who you said you wanted to be, those people are your engines. So whether that's friends in your life who are like-minded, whether that's coaches, therapists, counselors, whatever that looks like for you, people of faith, people in your community, those are your engines. So I say for all of you, if you're thinking about or you're feeling like I don't have anyone to ask, a simple exercise, a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle on the left side, your anchors on the right side, your engines. This isn't a list you have to share with anyone. This is just for you. And if you're starting to think of people in your life currently, which side of that list do they fall on? Again, now the anchors aren't all the people who are, because it's easy for us to ignore haters, right? It's mm -hmm. the people who love us or people who are in our lives or have been for a long time that are difficult for us to put on that 
that anchors list. But just think what for what you want to do right now or whatever you're thinking about that you could use some support with. Who are the engines? Who are people on the list that you really can turn to? Now, some of these people might not be people you know. So, for example, I'm obsessed with Lisa Nichols. She's a fantastic speaker. Mm -hmm. She has tons of books, all of which are on my bookshelf. Her company is motivating, motivating the masses. Excuse me. She's wonderful. I don't know her personally, but she is an engine for me because I can watch her videos. I can read her books. I can do all of those things and listen to her for days and days. So there may be people on your list. Hopefully there are some who are in your life, you know, with whom you can contact and be in touch with, but also what are the other things that can support you? It could be organizations. Say you want to become a publicist. There's plenty of publicist organizations or Facebook groups or places like that that could be engines for you. So don't limit yourself to just the people you know or the organizations you know or things you're already a part of. I say open up and be really expansive. Think about how you're growing and the people you want to meet or people you want to be engines. And then the folks who are anchors, it's not that you necessarily need to cut those people off, but you might need to restructure your relationship with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's, that's something I would offer. I, I love that because it's a very proactive, real way to start thinking about it. And one of the things that we have to get over is thinking there's no one out there. You know, as long as we consistently right. believe I have no support, there's no one that gets me. I live in a town where I stick out like a sore thumb. Other people don't share my values or so on and so forth. That's what happens when we open right. up to the possibility of like, okay, just one, let me, let me just really mm -hmm think about it. Let me be creative. Let me get out of my limited thinking and just think, okay, let, let me find just, just one person who's an engine mm -hmm. for me. And I love That's that right. you said too about Lisa Nichols, because maybe for a while, those engines are people you don't know personally, but you have right. a personal relationship with them because they've impacted you personally. And that can be a start. That can definitely be a start. And then it, you build up to having that more one-on-one -on -one where you're asking for support. That's right. And I think what you said is very important too. It's you, we have to ask ourselves. So all the things you said, you know, I live in a town where I stick out like a sore thumb. I don't know anybody. I don't know, have anyone who support me. First, I would start by saying, is that the truth or is that mm -hmm. just a belief? Right. Mm -hmm. So if it's the truth, and even if it's the truth, you might be in a town where you stick out like a sore thumb. Great. You're unique. You're an original, you know, <laughs> so it might be the truth. But on the other side, a lot of things I think that we operate from are just our beliefs. So I might be a belief that I feel like no one's there to support me. Is that true? Yeah. Prove it. How do you know? Did you ask everyone to support? You know, if you really ask yourself the questions as opposed to just being fueled by our limiting beliefs, which I'm sure you all being a woo-woo crowd have heard of, we can really analyze, okay, and then like you said, get down to business. All right, let me do the real thing here. Do the work here. Who are the engines? And as we said, they could be people that you don't know personally, but that will help you grow in ways you never imagined. And it puts you even in that headspace. And then you'll be surprised. I promise you, people will start to show up or you'll mention to someone, you know, I'm really trying to meet more people who do X or this is what I'm working on. That's something else I don't think we do, Christine. I'm not saying share all your business, right? You want to be able to share with, with folks you trust, but you can pretty much mention to anybody what you're working on. You don't have to tell them if it's some secret idea, the whole idea, but if you're trying to change jobs or industries or get into speaking more, I mean, you and I talked earlier in that first one of the first things I talked about speaking with the book and these are things that I'm trying to do. You never know who people know at that time or with whom they can connect you. The person might've just had a conversation with someone a few minutes before who's looking for someone who has the exact skills that you have, or maybe not. It doesn't matter though. You're putting it out there in the universe mm. and sharing. This is what I'm working on. Mm. 
Let's talk about some tips you may have, Elaine, for making big asks or what feels like a big request from someone. Because I know that can be challenging for people um, to to make a big ask. I'm, I'm sure that you're facing that right now with the book and asking people to share about it or have you on their podcast or so on and so forth. And there's lots of big asks that we have in our professional and personal life that can feel really hard because we can feel like we're burdening someone or we're putting them in an awkward position or we're being selfish. We can have all these judgments and limiting beliefs that that get in the way of asking for support, especially if we feel like it's a big request. So any tips you have for how we can have more courage or some languaging around making those big requests? Yes, for sure. I actually like to share the five R's of making an empowered ask. So the first R is being ready. So if you were to say to me, Christine, after this call, so is there anything else I can do or how else can I support you or any version of that? I need to be ready with an answer. Right now for me, it's the book, the book, the book. But two weeks from now, it'll probably be something else. But being ready or setting your intention is really what it is, is important whenever you're having conversations. It should be already in you, as we've talked about with anchors versus engines, you're kind of giving a thought to, well, what is what I, what is the thing I really want to do right now? What is my intention? And that's going to guide you when you're writing your engine list. In the same way, it should guide you with your conversations. What is, as the book, um, The One Thing, which I love by Gary Keller mm-hmm. and um, Jake, you know, you know it, right? The one I know thing. It. I love yeah. that book. And they say, what is the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary? So when I'm talking to Christine, it might not be that I just have one thing that I want to focus. I mean, I'm focused on, I'm an entrepreneur. I have 25 different things that I want to do. If she were to ask me today or anyone else, I'm talking about the book because right now that is the one thing that I'm focused on that I hope will make everything else easier or something's unnecessary. So the first R again is to show up ready, really give some thought before you're having conversations, writing in your journal or whatever that is. What is my intention for my life right now? What is something I really want to accomplish or do? And be ready when someone asks you, is there a way can I, I can support you? What are you up to right now? Whatever that is, be ready with that. Something that I heard Christine on a podcast. Oh, I can't remember the name of the podcast, but the person, it was a gentleman, and he was saying that he met, um, John, a blank on this gentleman's name too, the founder of WordPress. I can't remember right now. I don't want to mess up his name. But anyway, he met the founder of WordPress, had a total fanboy moment. And he's, I think it's Matt Mullenweg, I think. But when Matt said to him, the person on the podcast, hey, what do you do? The guy said he just fumbled through. He doesn't even know what he said. He fumbled through trying to tell him. And the founder of WordPress said to him, you should be able to tell someone what you do. And I think he said 10 words or less. I believe it's 10. He might have said less, like six words, but let's say 10 words or less. And I remember thinking, wow, that is really powerful to think that way. Like, how can I tell someone what I do in 10 words or less, or what mm. I what my intention is in 10 words or less. So that's a challenge too. Again, it's not that that's all that you're going to say, but hopefully those first 10 words will make the person say, oh, that's cool. Or, oh, that's neat. Tell me more. Or, wow, I just talked to someone who's looking for something like that. So just to get that down so that you're ready with that intention, whenever you're going to make that ask, or when the opportunity comes up to make that ask, be ready. And that goes too with when you're going in to talk to someone, your manager, boss, supervisor, even about a raise, what is your intention? It can't just be, I think I want to make more money. Like we need to come in ready, right? Come in ready. So whatever that circumstance is. The second R is the reason. How do you enroll people in your vision? What is the reason you're doing this thing? Why does it matter to you? Why does it matter to me? Or why will it matter to the world? 
So we need to get an idea of what the reason is for this ask. And like I said, be able to enroll people in your vision when you're able to tell them this is why this is important. So for me, it would be this is so important because I want to impact one million women with this message about support. I don't know how that's going to happen, but hey, that's my intention. So help me get the word out. That's all I got. Right. Mm. But that's the reason and I can make someone hopefully be like, oh, wow. OK, yeah, I get that. Whether they do anything about it or not, I have stated the reason. The third are receipts. We love a good receipt. So receipts could be what have you done? So again, let's go back to if you're asking for a raise or more money or anything like that. What have you done? You can't just again go in like, hey, I think I need a raise unless you're cool with your boss like that. Never (laughs) happened to me in the past like that. But what have you done? You have a list of projects that you've worked on, how you've increased revenue or built the audience or whatever your specialty is. What have you done? I did have a woman recently ask a great question. She said if she she was, I believe, in, I don't know if she was in college or changing to a new industry, but in any case, she hadn't done all the things to list a bunch of things she's done yet. So my advice to her and anyone else who might feel like maybe you're moving into a different industry and, you know, you haven't done all those things, but you've done these things over here. I say, what have you have you done to try to accomplish that thing? So for me, if I say, I really want to move into corporate speaking. I can't give you, that's not a good example. I've done that. If I tell you, I want to learn how to play pickleball. I just talked to someone about pickleball and I can tell you that I I haven't done it yet. I'm not great at it yet, but these are the things I have done. I've taken lessons. I've talked to people who love pickleball. I found a place where you can play. All these other things where I've done some of the work in this case, my receipts, to show you how I wanted to get there. Or if I were someone, I won't use myself, if I were someone who wanted to do more speaking. I haven't done speeches yet, but these are the things that I have done. I've researched these different companies that seem very interesting, like they could use the message that I have as a speaker. I've done this, I've done that. So hopefully that makes sense, whether you're listing your receipts of things you've actually done or the value that you have or how you've made an impact, or at least if you can tell someone This is what I've done so far. Nothing's better than making an ask and saying, this is how I tried to do it myself or with other support, Mm. et cetera. This is where I want to go. And then people kind of know where they can fit in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And pickleball is totally so much fun. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I love it. I'm learning pickleball. It's on my mind. (laughs) And then the fourth R is the request. And then you have to make the ask. A lot of times, Christine, support doesn't show up for us because we didn't ask. And for many of us, right? And many of us as ambitious women too, I have a friend who said this, her other friend said to her, oh, we didn't ask you if you needed help because you always seem like you have it together. Mm. People think it's a compliment to, you know, not support you because they think, oh, she's got it. She's got it all together. She always says she got it. You know, or she has it. It's technically right, but she got it right. Always says mm-hmm. she. So we don't often make the ask, make the request for whatever reasons, the limiting beliefs we talked about, or we're not even slowing down long enough to be like, you know what? I need some help with this, or I should ask so and so, or this person might be good for me to bring in on this project. So don't forget to make the request. That's the fourth R, and the last R is reciprocity. So I always believe in after you've made an ask. You can say to the person, whether via email or however, if there's any way I can support you, let me know. Whether it's now or in the future, let me know. I'm very big on just making it a cycle. I'm doing round circles here. You can't see me, but round circles here. Reciprocity. Mm. So the five R's, ready, reason, receipts, request, 
reciprocity. I love that. Thank you for giving us a system because I think yeah. when we're making a request, we can get so in our head and like our mm-hmm. inner child and teenager can get all triggered and insecurities can flare up and we can stumble over our words. But with this system and, and really getting our logical mind and write it all out. Write it all out. Yeah. Yep. We have a have a plan. You know, I listeners of the show know we love the emotions. We love the feeling. We love the creativity. We love the sensory sensitive part of the mind and brain. And there are times when getting out of that and into our logic and into our practicality is really, really helpful. And I know for me, when I'm making a request, if I just stay in my emotions, my anxiety is going to get the best of me and it's not going to happen. But if I apply mm-hmm. a system like this and I write it all out and I make it more practical, then I'm, I can quell my anxiety a little bit and the person's going to receive it better because it's not like I'm coming with a needy energy. And I think that's what gets in the way of a lot of really powerful requests is coming with a needy energy or an insecure energy of like, if it's not that big of a deal, would you mind doing that and and giving them an out? And it's okay if you're too busy. It's totally okay if you can't do it. It's like, no, don't give people an out before you ask, come with an empowered request and don't be responsible for them saying no. That's a big, a big learning for me is it's not my responsibility to to give someone permission to say no to my request. It's just my mm-hmm. responsibility to make the request and it's their responsibility to say yes or no. So this is great, everybody. That's Ready, right. reason, receipts, requests, reciprocity. Um, I mentioned anxiety in there I and mean, you have a name for your anxiety. I believe you call her Agnes. Is that correct? Agnes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about why you named it? Because I love that. I named my inner critic. I haven't named my anxiety yet. I might, I might do that. Um, why it's been helpful for you to to name it. And and I think it's really, it's so helpful because people hear you, Elaine, and you're so eloquent and successful and you've got a lot going on and a lot together. And they might think, well, she doesn't deal with anxiety. She sounds oh so gosh. cool and calm. So can you set them straight? <laughs> yes. Yes, Agnes, she is acting up right now. Oh my goodness. And I think naming her, one of the things is that it um it makes me laugh when I just say, first of all, I have friends named Agnes. Nothing wrong with the name Agnes. I love it. But I just think about aggravation, Agnes. I don't know, mm-hmm. anxiety. It all it all just it felt right to call her Agnes. But yeah, it makes it makes it um for me lighter. Um in a weird way, human, I feel like I can better talk to or my address, if you will, my anxiety when I have a name or something to call it, as opposed to what is this feeling I'm feeling or not even, you know, naming or, or acknowledging these feelings that I'm having. I could just say Agnes is acting up again, or I can write about it as I've done or talk about it on my podcast or whatever it is. I can just name and uh, face this thing and not try to hide this feeling that I'm having. And not only does it make the anxiety be human for the purposes of me uh, getting over it or healing through it, I should getting through it, I should say, it also makes me feel more human. Like, yes, I do have anxiety. I Mm -hmm. do have feelings. And these things come up for me too. They have in the past, not even just for the book, just existing as a human being in 2021. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you don't have anxiety now, please teach us your ways, yes. you know? So if you don't, I mean, just, so there's that, but then yeah, any new projects or things and really getting out there in a very vulnerable way with something like this. Absolutely. So for me to answer your question, it just makes it funny to me. And then, um, a way for me to be able to have a conversation with it, really deal with it and manage it in the best way I can. What are some ways that you find you can manage or be with your anxiety that really work for you? 
One of the best ways is, I will say I'm very grateful and privileged really to have a coach that I've worked with for three years now. Um, again, her name is Margot Geller. She's here in Atlanta. And uh, we started working together in 2017. So when I, the first time I came down to Atlanta, I was working on my business or trying to figure out actually at that time what my business was, who I was, what I was doing, going through a really hard time after leaving New York and um, the publishing industry. Having one, someone who knows my history. So we've been working together for years. So she knows more than just the extent of my, my work and things that I'm working on, but also I can be honest with her and I trust her to be honest with me. As I mentioned earlier, the example of, am I overreacting? Is this something that's being, you know, triggered by my anxiety or my, it's triggering, I should say my anxiety, or just these conversations that I can honestly have, uh, with someone like her, who's someone who's objective, who's trained. She's not only a coach, but she has a, uh, she's a psychologist, a trained, uh, psychologist and has degrees and all these other things. And she's an entrepreneur. So she was a, has a, had a business before a catering business that she sold. So uh, having someone, uh, all that to say who one from a coaching standpoint, but also the right mix of experiences and feedback and who can be objective for me has been so important and crucial. Um, in addition to therapy, whenever I needed, uh, great friends. Um, but for me, most of my anxiety, I will say is around my business or new projects. Cause that's usually the place where I'm going biggest or making the most change. Mm. Um, most of my friends, you know, are my friends. They've been my friends for a while. They ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. It's fine. Um, we know we have life things that happen, but it doesn't really induce anxiety in me. Like the places where I'm going big, which tend to be in work, career, creativity, those kind of things. Yeah. So having the right, you know, having the right cushions and support around me and that I can trust to, again, not just tell me what I want to hear, but also give me that feedback. I have to be able to trust that you're going to tell me you're out of control or you're doing too much or whatever, whatever that looks like in a loving way, of course, whatever that looks like for me or Agnes is right. You don't need to do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> So that's, what's been uh, really crucial for me. And then on, a, on another side of it also, taking care of myself has been mm. an important thing. You know, you're, for me, my physical health is as important as my mental health. So if that's going for a walk, especially now the weather's nicer here in Decatur, Georgia, this afternoon, I'll probably go for a walk, being around friends. I went for a hike with one of my girlfriends last weekend, you know, things like that, that are just simple, delightful things that aren't work related, that aren't tied to some kind of outcome, Christine, mm -hmm. right? When we're ambitious, everything's like tied to an outcome. I actually told Margot, I want to do gardening. I want to go to a mm. community garden, right? I just want to, I said, I need to, cause I was telling her I wanted to do something that was just a hobby for fun. And she actually mentioned pickleball. I was like, no, cause pickleball, the first thing I want to know is how do I win? <laughs> like you, any game, I would, I would play the game with her at her house. Her boyfriend and her friend came over. We were playing, they spread this game out. How do I win? You, mm -hmm. Like, that's the first thing you have to tell me. <laughs> that's, that's why we're playing the game, right? Of course it's fun, but Listen, can't just be for fun. <laughs> it can't be for fun. What is the outcome? How do I win? So I said, I want to do gardening because no matter what I do, I can set up the soil or whatever you're supposed to. You see, I don't know anything about gardening. Set up the soil or whatever so that it is uh, fertile for the whatever it is to grow. But I cannot control that. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm just going to be there not for the outcome, just for the enjoyment. So that's one of the things on my list, but that's an example of some, something that will support me and not be uh, a trigger for my anxiety. It'll just be clearly for relaxation. So those are the ways that I manage it. I love that. And just accepting it. You know, <laughs> I, I don't really know I, anyone who doesn't have some degree of anxiety. Um, 
well, maybe my husband, he doesn't really get anxious about stuff. He gets <laughs> nervous sometimes, but he doesn't have anxiety. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you don't know what it's like to have a panic attack. <laughs> um, exactly. But when you're going big though, I yeah. just, I don't know, not to say it has to be part of the, certainly you want to project that anxiety has to be a part of everyone's life, like yours and mine. But I just think when you're stepping outside of, not even stepping, when you're doing a running leap off the cliff outside of your uh, comfort zone, you're going to be anxious. And some part of that anxiety is nervousness. It's a mixture of feelings. Um, but yeah, I think it's, for me, it, in the end, I know it'll be for a good reason. Mm. I'm excited about it mm. or it matters to you. That's why you're nervous. I yeah. tell people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about your book, Get Over, I Got It. I, I want to start with the title. What made you title the book, Get Over, I Got It? Yes, as unapologetically ambitious women, I think I got it is our go-to phrase whenever someone offers us support. So if I say anything from, you know, the guy who actually works at the grocery store, who's there to carry your groceries, he asks if you want help. I got it. It's okay. I got it. No, no, no. I got it. Right. We don't even, it's like a trigger. Anytime someone says it, I got it. I got it. I got it. In all these different environments. And then you're mad because you feel like nobody helps you. Right. You don't realize how much. You're saying I got it. So I say we have I got it syndrome. So that's what it's about getting over, quote unquote, I got it. This idea of saying it without even thinking about it. So I want us to be more aware that we're pushing away support constantly without even thinking about it. It's like telling the universe halt when all it ever wants to do is show up for you. So I want to make um, just as something that women, especially those, these are the women who don't have a problem getting stuff done. Like you're the go-to person or you're the mom. And I say we're the ones who... We are known to have the answers, right? We're the ones who have the answers. We're the people people come to to get stuff done, to build the businesses and all that great stuff. Women are just, I can't say enough about how wonderful we are, but we need help. Yeah. And to be able to do that, we have to be open to help. A lot of times we might feel like, you know, forget it. I'll do it. No one can do it like me. All right, let's all slow down. Stop saying I got it. And listen, not only I'm being lighthearted about part of it, but also one of the things I mentioned in the book, Christine, is that I learned in doing research that the CDC reported that in from 1999 to 2019, women, the second largest group who with the highest increase of suicides were women between the ages of 45 and 64. Mm. Mm. The first group, the group with the largest increase were girls ages 10 to 14. Mm. So this idea of getting support and having help, not doing it alone, it's about certainly we don't want you to get to the place of wanting to commit suicide, which is something that I actually tried to do when I was 15 years old because I didn't know how to ask for support. Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it that is very, very real, right? A matter of life and death, which I know is heavy to drop in a career, personal development, that kind of thing book. But I wanted to stress here and, and there it's this is bigger than just doing this to, you know, ask for a raise or get right. support partner and those kind of things. This is serious, right? We're struggling. We're feeling unfulfilled. We're trying to do it all. Feminism. I'm a feminist very much for the movement. A lot of us don't remember that at the time women were fighting in part and fighting to be able to work outside of the home, but didn't give up a lot of the other responsibilities and duties. So now we're doing a hundred more things, not yeah. to mention technology and all those things than our mothers and grandmothers did. It's not really normal. If I can say that. Yeah. So we have to just do just as much, I should say, to take care of ourselves. So that's a part of it that's very important too. the very real part of making sure this is not only about your success, but also your peace of mind. So that's why I called it Get Over, I Got It. And some of the things I mentioned in there are personal experiences. And then again, this idea that 
this is bigger than you just getting ahead. I'm so glad you brought up the mental health aspect because there's one thing in terms of asking for support or requests for a business thing or maybe help with the kids. And then it can feel even more vulnerable to make a request for, I'm really struggling. I don't know how I'm going to go on another day. I don't know what to do. Help. And Mm -hmm. I love that you're highlighting that because those are the most important requests we can make often the hardest, but the, the mm-hmm. most important requests we can make and, and really can save our lives. You, you have, I love your models, Elaine, you have a model for help. Can you go yes. through that with us? Yes, absolutely. So whenever you're struggling or, you know, having any hesitation around asking for help, just remember the word help, H-E-L-P. So the H is having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. I think for a lot of us as women, for different reasons, right? This isn't women's hysteria. I mean, you think about payment inequality that still exists today and all these other things that still uh, exist today that women have to bump up against. There are reasons why we might think think that we can't ask for support or people going to think I'm not capable or I can do it. Still, keep in mind, having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. And we've talked about the ways that you can remember or that you can take action in asking for support. The E is that empowered ask and asking empowering questions. So questions that aren't like, why am I such a failure? Why wasn't I invited for that speaking event? Why didn't this work out? Why am I such a jerk? Why am I so stupid? Okay, those aren't empowering questions or empowering asks. The empowering question is, what can I do to make this transition into this field that I want to get into? What can I do to be able to speak? Who are some of the people that I might want to reach out to? What are the empowering questions that you can ask that will help you move to that next level? Or how can I get support for my mental health? I'm not feeling well. What kind of support do I need? All of those things are empowering questions, right? The L is let go of the how and live the question. So as I mentioned, I would love for this message to reach 1 million women, even if that doesn't mean selling a million books, because I'm letting go of the how. Who knows? Somebody could post it on their blog that has 10 million followers. I don't know, but I'm letting go of the how. I also am living the question. And a lot of us live several different questions. But this is something that came up for me or that I learned about from Patricia Moreno, I interviewed on an early Mm. episode of the Supported Sexy podcast, and she said, we have to learn how to live the question, which is a very courageous space to be in for women who, again, have I got it syndrome, we're aggressive, we get paid to have the answers, moms, people all go ask your mother, you're the one who has all the answers. How about being able to live the question? So for me, a question I'm living right now from a personal standpoint, I'm a single woman, I'm in my 40s, I want to have a family, what might that look like? And then I let it go. Unless you're going to tell me, Christine, I don't have that answer right now, right? I'm just Mm -hmm. figuring it out. I'm being open, but I have to be comfortable or be, you know what, be willing to be uncomfortable not having that answer and living that question and seeing how that shows up. And here's one example real quick on that. I froze my eggs when I was 39. And then I had a conversation just recently. Someone asked me to come on a show on, not a show on a, what's the thing called? Clubhouse (laughs) is the new new thing that kids are on, right? Someone asked me to come on Clubhouse, have a conversation about this, freezing your eggs. And as a black woman and all these other things, we're talking about it. I'm trying to think, I wonder how I'm going to do this. Should I get a surrogate? What is that like? How do you Mm. go through this process? I'm living this question. A woman on there who wasn't even on the panel, she was in the audience on Clubhouse, if you will. They bring her up. Her name is Alma Gordon. She has a company that is all about supporting women and going through this process, telling you what to do, how to get in touch with people, being your partner along Mm. the way. She could barely finish before I was like, please give me your information. I'm contacting you right now. She's helping me throughout the whole process, figure out what I want to 
Isn't that amazing? I and I was that. living that question. Yeah. So again, you never know how, but because I was in that space of, I want to have conversations about, I want to ask someone who's been through this or someone who has helped other people go through this. And how do I do this? There she was. And she and mm. I have been talking for months now. So again, letting go of the how and living the question in it will show up for you in different ways. And then the P is believing in the possibilities. So as we've talked about, your limiting beliefs are not going to let you believe in the possibilities. And one of the things I talk about in the book is something that um, Dr. Srini Pillay says about having a mindset about what's possible rather than what's probable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when we think about what's probable, it's going to limit us, right? Because we're thinking about the, our, our capacity for what we can believe will happen based on what we already know, or based on current circumstances. Sometimes it's hard for us to see beyond our current circumstances versus what's possible. Right. And that could almost be endless. You know, think of the days before the car, someone had to think that was possible before yeah. the airplane, right? Someone thought the phone, I, sometimes I look at my phone, like you do so much, <laughs> how, what in the world? Like, it's just someone yeah. thought that was all these things, all the things, if you look around wherever you are right now, it's a lot of the man, I mean, all of the man-made things actually, possibility. Somebody mm. thought of that, right? So believe in the possibilities. Don't let your limited beliefs keep you from believing in the possibilities for yourself. I love this. Oh, such good, juicy, helpful information. And I know people are going to want more of you and, and the book. So please tell people where they can get the book and where they can go and connect with you as well. Absolutely. You can get the book and connect with me, learn any more about me and get some great giveaways at getoveriigotit.com. So get over, I got it.com information about the book, how to connect with me, more information about me, other things that I'm doing around the book launch. I'm super excited about. It's all there. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Elaine. I know that, you know, we always write about what we need to learn the most. And I, I thank you for being an ambitious woman who also is getting really great at asking for support, because I think that's something that we need to reframe. And you mentioned the feminist movement. And, you know, there's so much that movement had to do. And now I think it's up to our generation of women to, to bring balance into, okay, we're ambitious and we're doing all this. And we left out mm -hmm. a whole big part of the equation, which is like our plate just doubled and we need <laughs> right. support. We can't do it alone. And women are incredibly, and for the men listening, if you've, if you've listened so far, this is not a dig on men, women just with our diffuse awareness and the way our brain is wired, we, we can handle so much at once, but our bodies and our nervous system and our heart and our soul, it, it's, it's draining. And so asking mm -hmm. for support is so important. So thank you for being a stand for this, because this is a very important message. My pleasure. Thank you so much for helping me share this message. I appreciate you. 